the great Canadian talk show. There's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the west side of campus. No way. Yes way. And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. Welcome to the Great Canadian Talk Show, episode number 17 in our series covering uh, and analyzing the Winnipeg 2022 Civic Election being held on October 26th. Indeed, it is Marty and Spirited Kenny once more. Ahoy, hoy. Kenny, overcoming the grief of oh. the <clears throat> failure of the of the uh, oh, local uh, uh, local. Uh, uh, what did they used to call like them? It when still they were, hurts. Like the rugby union. Yes, it hurts. Yes, a, a painful loss to the arch rival Hamilton Tiger Cats, who clearly were a very prepared and very motivated football team. And the the uh, it's like they tried Bombers. to win. They they actually put some effort into beating the Bombers, and it worked. And I just very confused, Marty. Like I'm well. I, my, I, look I at, I, halfway through the game. I even brought out my old jersey and put it in the sun to recharge it because I figured, well, maybe the old jersey isn't charged up, right? Sure. So I, well, sure. I did everything I could do, and they still lost, Marty. They still lost. Ugh, it's just a whole heap of sadness over here. And the Texans lost too today. So I mean, so you're just having a fabulous weekend. Going to take a what's that? A long walk off a short pier, I think. No, that's what they used to say in the old days. But it, but you, how's your uh, how's your how's your ticket though? Oh yeah. See, I right now I need uh, Green Bay to win today. And then I need the Bills to win tomorrow, and then then everything's everything's all right. The, the Browns failed me, but I wheeled that I wheeled that parlay. So the Browns use uh-huh. I had San Fran, uh, they won, and I had uh, Tampa Bay, and they won in an exciting game, I must say. There were a number of exciting finishes. I caught the end of the fourth quarter of about four games uh, today, that all went down the wire, uh, and I I'm I'm having trouble keeping track of, of who's playing for who nowadays because I just haven't followed it closely. Oh, but yeah. I did see a number of impressive quarterbacks, especially in Atlanta. Oh, oh There's some very impressive quarterbacks around the league. Yeah, uh, yeah. Your, your your average quarterback is really uh, <laughs> like twice as good as the, you know the average quarterback of the 1970s and and probably oh. the 80s. Clearly. Uh, Built just, just completely a, different. They're trained yeah, differently now. Yeah, it's a different now. kind of athlete. It's and, a lifestyle, uh, not just yeah. like a job nowadays. It, so something else. I was watching a the playoff bowl of 1963 between the Detroit Lions and the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not too familiar with either of those teams, but they were basically the runners up in the NFL um, in that era. This would be Packers, Packers and Browns, I guess. Cleveland Browns were probably the and the Colts, I guess. Some years were the uh, top, uh, oh, yeah, top yeah. teams. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm not really that uh, familiar with um, the rest of the league in those years, a few years before I started following it. But boy, it was fascinating. But the quarterbacks I've been watching on these old films are like Zeke Bratkowski and Ed Brown. And, <laughs> you know, these guys were veteran backups. But like, you know, by the time I was a kid and started watching, yeah. um, dare I say, pretty much old and washed up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and like and the the way people took care of their bodies back then compared to nowadays is just oh no, it's spoken yeah, and drink them while they're playing. It's just yeah, just crazy. So uh, where are you anyways, watching this? Where are you watching it's this? A, it's YouTube that comes up and it's based on these old you know uh, like newsreel style game films. Oh wow, you know really the highlights. Rad. That's about crazy. four minutes long, and I recognize some of the names. Uh, and some of them are completely obscure, but like, and also the playoff bowl is like the consolation prize between the East Division and West Division, our conference here called the Western Conference, Eastern Conference runners up. So I don't know how much money the players got for the game. They went got to play in Miami the year that, that I watched. So, you know, it's not like they were slugging it out and, you know, some freezing field in New Jersey. Yeah, paid in sunshine down there, Marty. Paid in yeah. sunshine. So it was a, a bit of a perk, and that was the year where the Packers went 13 and 1, and, uh, and uh, the Giants were 12 and two in the East, <laughs> and, the, and the Lions were 11 and three. That was a good. That was a good football team. That's Alex Karras, Joe oh. Schmidt, a lot of de- they had a lot of defensive stalwarts. Uh, in any event, so uh, I've been watching that not as much, but you, to, to compare Bretkowski, Ed Brown, uh, you, you know, even guys like to- you know Tobin wrote in the American Football League or John Hadle, 
Yeah, yeah. It's not 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 athletes when compared to these kinds of fellows. <laughs> Clearly nope. not. Nope. But your ticket still has a hope, and that's what uh, that's oh what counts is having a hope, having a hope to be able to bring home the bacon. Yeah, uh, as long as there's a hope. Yeah, bacon ham. <laughs> to uh, catch up in the first part of this program on no corrections that I can remember that need to be made from last week to this week. Deep breath. Uh, <laughs> I, I will sort of recap the ballot a little bit, Kenny, for a couple of minutes here, and then uh, swing around to uh, looking at what came out on the campaign trail in the last week and some of the media coverage of the campaign, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we, I have not contemplated in this election having the ability or capacity to cover school boards. Uh, I, e- even on Kick FM, it was limited, but I note that we were one of the, I mean, really we're the only media outlet that did spend any attention on school boards. Uh, and, uh, and that, that includes on city circus on Shaw TV where Mike Babinski and Dean Koshalanik for two, and oh, Suzanne, was it Harinyak was the school board chair as well? I think I had three different school trustees on the program. That's just off the top of my head. Oh, wow. um, but I do want to make note with regards to the school, the race for school boards, the ballots are filling up. Uh, some wards seem to only have one candidate. I think Ward 1 and Ward 2. A number of uh, these wards have two or more. Uh, there's still going to be more people, I think, joining the ballots. I don't know that there will be any uncontested races, which is good for democracy to have these races fought. The political left clearly making a move, uh, a, an organized move to take control of, uh, this, of the school board, firm control of the school board, and push through uh, whatever kind of uh, God knows what agenda they uh, have up their sleeve. I do want to make mention, regardless of the politics of it, that it is important for that people get involved. Running for school board is not easy. You cannot, you just don't have the mechanisms in terms of raising money and running a campaign. Uh, but it is seen as certainly by the NDP as a training ground, uh, and perhaps perhaps to a much lesser extent by other political parties, though by individuals with political ambitions, they've certainly used it to leapfrog. I mean, heck, our our lieutenant governor now. I mean, her biggest accomplishment basically, well, really, her biggest accomplishment was. Uh, uh, somehow getting elected to the school board in the first place uh, and she's parlayed an unremarkable political career uh, uh, and uh, being friends with the right people in ottawa to uh, end up with a prominent job right uh yeah running for a school board trustee like no one everyone makes fun of those people well for one thing in it's because it attracts a lot of people that are into changing the world and not not making sure the children get educated that's the first problem right right I don't know, like, what do the school board trustees do? Just budgets and spreadsheets? Budgets and pre- I, I think so. And rubber stamp whatever curriculum the woke crowd that they've hired uh, brings before them, I guess. Uh, in any event, there's two matters at school board <clears throat> that I want to uh, bring forward on a personal level. To my shock, an email arrived in uh, my – I was I received an email this week, arrived in my inbox um, – with a bit of an update from someone who uh, talks with their family and then says uh, where the kids are at and whatever. I'm officially a candidate for school trustee again in Winnipeg School Division Ward 5, West End downtown between Sargent and Portage. See attached map. This sent out by Kevin Friedman, who was a trustee from 2014 to 2018 and then lost his bid for re-election in 2018. He sent out an email uh, talking about... Uh, what he accomplished in his four years uh, uh, when he served and saying, after not having an active or reliable trustee in our community since 2018, I've decided to run again. Huh? Just that's uh, it, eh? based on his experience and his goals uh, and, uh, you know, asking for support. Now I, I mentioned this because Kevin Friedman, his great grandparents lived across the lane or best friends with my grandparents, his parents, his, sorry, his grandparents were best friends with my parents and lived next door, next door to us for a time. Uh, I pretty much knew his father since the day he was born. And lo and behold, Kevin Friedman out of the blue tells us, uh, tells me and many other people in this email blast how he's doing uh, and that he's decided to reenter public life. And that's not easy with two kids. Uh, and uh, and it does show dedication to his beliefs and, and to uh, approaching different ways of better educating our children, better running our wards, and better uh, spending, 
hopefully <laughs> smarter spending uh, uh, in the course of administering the school. So Kevin Friedman, uh, Kevin Friedman, F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N dot com, Kevin Friedman dot com, candidate for school trustee in Ward 5. Uh, in St. James Assiniboia, a post put up by a longtime friend of this program, Craig Johnson, uh, he, that he is not seeking a fourth term uh, for the post of trustee in St. James Assiniboia. I've been honored, he wrote on Facebook, to work with many wonderful colleagues from Manitoba and across our great nation. I had the opportunity to learn and contribute to the learning of thousands of our local students. I experienced history happening while being a member of a participating team and not just a spectator. Uh, Craig, looking forward to exploring new opportunities, making a difference in other ways, the benefit of our community, city, province and country. Uh He's, uh, he said he'll be sharing upcoming reflections and memories of his role regarding the past 12 years of service and thanking those who helped me grow and develop. Craig Johnson uh, became a friend of this program because he was working uh, probably around 2007, 2008 uh, at CDI College. Oh, wow. And, and uh, was at the right hand of uh, Tall East, who uh, was certainly a champion for this program. Uh, we did live remotes of, uh, and talked about especially their addictions program. And, and how the school itself was a place where people were turning their lives around and and being able to find uh, well-paying jobs that uh, gave back to the community. And uh, that's when I first met Craig. I think he was, uh, I, you know, I, I don't remember exactly. He had something to do with student services, recruitment, stuff like that. Uh, and uh, he subsequently uh, entered public life uh, and, uh, and now stepping down for public life. And all the best, of course, to Craig Johnson. Um, Today, as we record this, it's Sunday. A number of candidates uh, have been able to have their nomination papers vetted and verified as having the required 250 signatures to be placed on the ballot for the uh, for October 26th. The deadline technically for this is tomorrow. So I I don't want to go too deep. There are some people, for instance, um, the international man of mystery, Kenny, that's running against Janice Lukes. So he wasn't on the list today, uh, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have the signatures. He might not have gone to City Hall today. His appointment might be for tomorrow. So I, I, yeah. it's not fruitful to run through everything. I will say that in regards to the candidates for mayor, those who are listed today as uh, being registered. Uh, so obviously this is in the realm of the. The new the hurdle of having put in the the you know the registra- registration papers with regards to signatures, uh, Glenn Murray. This is in order as they're listed on the website, the city website. Glenn Murray, uh, Chris Clashio, Kevin Klein, Scott Gillingham, Rana Bakari, Jenny Motkluck, and Idris Adelakun. Hmm. And so uh, this would be where other candidates, RFO, Shown, uh, Loney, Woodstock, and. Uh, uh, a couple of the others, peoples. I'm trying to remember the names of, of some of the others where they very well, they may have appointments tomorrow and we'll see how filled out the ballot, whether it gets to, was it 15, Kenny? We'll see whether it gets to 15. Oh my word. It's going to be a busy day at city hall tomorrow. Yeah. Well, yes, it will in that regard. Sure. But it's a uh, part of the democratic process. So I, again, I don't want to get, no, I didn't notice any other new candidates for council this week. Nothing that stood out. Well, I didn't notice anything new compared to last week is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, again, we'll we'll see where this all uh, we'll, we'll we'll update this once the ballot is finalized, I guess, is the way to put it. OK, we'll update yeah. this uh, in a subsequent uh, podcast. Kenny, uh, uh, should we uh, do our pivot or take a break? Let's take a fast break. Let's take a break. Let's take a break and, uh, just for a moment here, and then we'll come back, look at some of the issues that came up in the civic election and that, uh, some of the media coverage, as well as my own personal questions uh, about uh, city services and something I happened to see this weekend with my own two eyeballs. And it ties in with uh, some of the headlines that were being generated this week by the mayoral candidates. Back in a moment. There'll be more of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast in just a moment. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast, for listening to all our podcasts. Your feedback, your questions, your news tips, this helps improve our citizen journalism. We're going to keep talking to the candidates directly, and you'll be able to hear their answers to 
what their background is and what they see for the future of our city. We rely and depend on your support. You can go to the PayPal link at the bottom of the episode description. Or if you want to make a donation, if you want to sponsor the podcast, the City Circus TV show, the our columns on Wham.Live, then you can email me directly. And whether it's $10 or $100, whether it's more or less, it all goes towards making sure we can bring you the best possible coverage that you won't get from corporate media so that you can make the best choice possible at the ballot box in this election. You can email me, martygoldlive at gmail.com. Uh, back with more of the Great Canadian Talk Show. Just uh, a reminder, uh, I am continuing to cover the Laith Maroof uh, funding scandal in Ottawa uh, with the J.ca, of which I am the editor-in-chief, Canada's national online Jewish newspaper. Uh, I invite you all to check out the J.ca. We have excellent stories, very serious stories uh, from writers uh, across Canada and across the world on subjects that to touch on broader world politics, uh, geopolitical affairs, and here at home in Canada, not just, uh, you know, you'd usually expect to see somebody has a new book out and some recipes and, you know, a lifetime award for some. No, we cover some of the serious stuff, to say the least, the Latham Roof funding scandal and all. I mean, recipes are pretty serious. They are, actually, especially if they involve pickles or chicken soup. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> especially if they involve especially sour dills try oh. finding a good sour dill nowadays it's so uh, hard it is actually uh and so uh we're continuing on to cover that uh more news being uncovered uh, more questions being raised about the role of the federal federal bureaucracy and also the leadership lack thereof within the jewish community on this matter i'll have more to say about it uh, this week on the j.ca uh, you'll be able to read more and uh, we have uh, some other let me just uh, take a look for a one second here, Kenny. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, some excellent stories coming up this week. This is our pre-Rosh Hashanah, pre-Jewish New Year edition. So one thing, one story that we have that I put together with an audio interview that I conducted uh, with uh, Beit HaLachim. They, they're an organization that provides support to Israeli uh to disabled, injured Israeli veterans, rehabilitation programming for their for their families, for their children as well. And uh, they have a regular program in Canada, and I was delighted to be able to interview uh, one of the people, one of the Israeli uh, uh, injured Israeli veterans who works with uh, Beit HaLochem uh, coming to Toronto every year for summer camp with uh, with kids from all over the world. It's a beautiful little interview, and uh, I, look, I look forward to people's reaction to it. It was a little piece of radio I was able to put together. Uh, for nice. the J.ca for uh, Rosh Hashanah, part 14, Dogan Ackman, former federal judge, uh, part 14, the Trudeau government's fake fight against anti-Semitism uh, coming up. Uh, a filmmaker's provided us with uh, America and the Holocaust, a filmmaker's perspective. Ken Burns getting a lot of ink lately for his version of history when it comes to Roosevelt, or as Archie Bunker used to pronounce it, Roosevelt. <laughs> Uh, so uh, oh, uh, please take a look by all means. Uh, that's the plug for the J.ca. And if you want to advertise, reach the Jewish community, uh, then uh, drop me a line, I guess. I'll pass it on to our publisher, and he'll get you all hooked up, uh, martygoldlive at, at gmail.com. Uh, I don't want to start giving out too many email addresses. Anyways, uh, the good thing about the Latham Maroof affair is it's not going away anytime soon. Well, well that's good. How, well, how many no, stories it's... have you done on it? Already, I think sorry. we're going to be coming up to four, I think, with the, wow. this week's edition, which questions the role of Jewish leadership in Canada and whether their response has been, in all cases, has been what the Jewish community needs to ensure that its interests and its safety are being protected from the kind of propaganda that was given official government sanction uh, through the Department of Heritage. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of our leaders are happy to suck up to the federal liberals, it appears. Well, that isn't going to fly anymore. Yeah. So, sorry, to, sorry to tell them. Some people here aren't exactly angling around for an appointment to the Canadian Senate, are we? Whoa, no. I, that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> Keep trying. Uh, <laughs> I have checked. There was no police press releases on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, um, is that the first time that's ever happened? Is that a new thing? I don't know. I, I, I find that I don't find that an acceptable practice. Yeah. And and I, I don't really know what to say about it. I can see how you can miss a day because of of some factor or other, and then you get caught up the next day. I can see how that happens. But this is all through the weekend. We're in the middle of a civic election, 
and not and and by not putting up press releases, uh, I submit that the police is doing a disservice to the electorate uh, in their ability to evaluate candidates against the serious crime issues of the day. So yeah. I don't want to go further than that, but it's not what either of us expected. Chris D.ca. Now I I'm when I say no releases, I haven't gotten one. There's nothing on the website. Uh, Chris D. did pick up something that maybe came out on Friday because I didn't see it the first time. Uh, two Winnipeg men facing charges after a stolen vehicle crashed in the Island Lakes area Friday around so this is Thursday night in a Friday morning. Uh, vehicle driving erratically colliding with several parked vehicles in southeast Winnipeg. Stolen vehicle was crashed at the intersection of De La Seigneurie Boulevard and Bishop Grandin Boulevard. Oh, man. At 2.30 a.m., they learned the suspects had abandoned the ride. I mean abandoned the car? And we're now traveling in a taxi, which soon returned to the same in- intersection roughly 30 minutes later. So there must have been somebody whose car was hit or something. They came out and said, yeah, I saw them get in the cab. Oh. And as they're standing there, the cab comes back or maybe the cops start driving off or who knows. Police executed- Charger fans, that's for sure. <laughs> Police executed a traffic stop. That's so poorly worded. Yeah, especially and, the ride is a very um, and seized the keys to the stolen vehicle, as well as a canister of bear spray. Both men were taken into custody. Tyler Lewis Romanic or Romanic, R O M A N I C twenty, and another twenty-year-old man are facing several charges, including guess what, Kenny? <laughs> what? Failing to comply <laughs> with the probation order. Wait, no way. I don't believe that for a second. One of, one of these individuals is already found guilty of not being in compliance with uh, being in, in compliance with civil order. Uh, police say the vehicle was originally stolen from a business in the 2400 block of Pemina Highway. So no indication if it's like a a, a newer used car sitting on the lot. If it was somebody was eating somewhere at 2400 Pemina and they stole the car like outside. I don't know what's 2400 Pemina, yeah. but, you know, up there way further up there is like Boston Pizza. You get the idea. So um, hard, hard to know, you know, Dairy Queen. Is there still a Dairy Queen up there? Anyways, uh, so here's uh, here's an incident. The reason why I took note of this was in the last couple of weeks, as I've mentioned, being busy with family obligations and such, this has taken me regularly near, past, down, and around the corner of the scenery at Bishop Grandin. Oh, yeah? Hmm. So I paid attention to this. It's a, a weird line. Police executed a traffic stop and seized the keys to the stolen vehicle. Like, I don't think I've ever seen them say that they took the keys of a stolen vehicle before. It's just an odd. Like, canister of bear spray. That's important. It's a weapon. But we took his keys is as as an odd point to make, I think. No, I think they wanted to prove these guys were still in possession of the abandoned vehicle. Oh, well... I think that I, 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 it's a clumsily made point, perhaps, but I believe that that's the point they were trying to make. Oh, okay. All right. I think. Hmm. It, but but again, the, like the language of this, the, the language is just very strange. Anyways, you know, you and I have concurred concurred that this is a it's a weird little story, weird little release. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, sure is. Uh, and and uh, police uh, Johnny on the spot clearly. Now, if the Free Press had a front page today on Sunday, what you would have read was uh, on the front page: rising emergency calls, strain resources. Police chief says this from Friday. An appearance of the Winnipeg Police Board. Danny Smythe going to put in it, putting in an administrative report requesting more resources. Uh, the demand for service outstripping the resources we have. Uh, the Police it's, not, it's not nice to call police officers resources. They all talk in bureaucrat nowadays. Yeah. The uh, city requests that police find 9.1 million in savings, according to the latest report to the board. They've been able to find about three million of that. Uh, the chief focused on the uh, high turnover rate in the communication center. 46% over the last 10 years. 30% of new hires quit within a year. What is oh. going wrong there? Uh, communication centers under considerable strain. The high attrition rate is the canary in the coal mine of police operations. No, I think the canary in the coal mine of police operations is the number of people that are not getting responses to call for service when they're in the middle of break-ins, when they're in the middle of robberies, uh, when there's been violent crime. 
I think that's the canary in the coal mine. But, you know, yeah. what do we know? Can you just live stream the crime that's happening in your property right now? Can you, you're saying? No, that's what the uh, uh, the operators are probably saying right that one time when the... Oh, yeah, 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 videotape. Like, Can you yeah. add... Uh, news coverage... Nobody, uh, uh, <laughs> clearly the rubber's going to meet the road because Smythe is talking about how this is a disaster, how I'm trying to remember what the numbers were, 500 calls for service a day, 20, 25, 26, 27%. I can't remember the exact figure. Yeah, uh, so it's 500 calls in, a day. Increase in calls for service uh, that are uh, involved like threats. Yeah. Like life-threatening situations, I guess, is how it's called. Hmm. Um, so for Marcus Chambers and the police board to say they have confidence in a guy who's supervising the police force as things have deteriorated well, to this extent. Hold on. It, huh? Aren't they comparing numbers that happened during COVID when everyone was locked in their house to numbers that are happening now when people are on the streets? Your suggestion is that the calls for service were that this might be the same level of calls for service as before COVID? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I don't think so, because when it's when these things are being described by the police service too, by the the, the union as record levels, I'm pretty sure that these are surpassing have shot past uh, previous uh, watermarks, high watermarks, I guess they used to be called. Uh, A sample of where uh, of some news coverage earlier in the week someone named amy ellen prentice of global news i can't say that i am familiar with her uh wrote a sort of a roundup about the infrastructure promises made by some of the mayoral candidates so she only can't count it's you know some and not others and and this is what happens you have somebody who has no background really in municipal affairs to speak of and is just like trying to fill like did global do not not cry at parliament this week that they're going broke and they're going like pardon my french uh, uh bosom up and they need more money oh, well it's it's stories thought it's yeah who would have thought that nobody'd be interested in global news who yeah. on, the, on the same days are putting out a story like that had the nerve to put out a story that was entitled i paraphrase but not by much uh, refusing to use pronouns as a sign of bigotry, experts say. <laughs> so refusing to, uh. th- this is the intellectual depth that is being brought to the table in the newsroom to some extent. So this is a piece of fluff. And we wonder why no one wants to read that. Like, that sounds like such a, a, a an engaging article. <laughs> Here's an overview. Well, candidates have pledged towards infrastructure uh, so far. And this was, now this was last week. So I think that this might have predated uh, on, an, on one of the announcements I'm about to reference. Uh, so it goes over what Scott Gellingham said. Uh, Cole's Notes version. Widen Kennison Boulevard, extend Ch- uh, Cheap Pegwas Trail to Route 90. 50 million more for road renewal. We mentioned that one, Kenny. Is that, That's like yeah. 12.5 million a year. Uh, more buses for more frequent service, which is seen as infrastructure. I'm not quite positive. I a mean, safer, better connected active transportation network. Pretty light now. That, that's a yeah, Cole's yeah. Notes version because this week G- Gillingham jumped both feet into the puddle, as Tom Broadbeck wrote uh, <laughs> this week in the Free Press on Wednesday. Mayoral candidates vexed by taxing the issue. Mayoral candidate Scott Gillingham proposes to bring in a new dedicated infrastructure tax to help pay for capital projects. It's a risky move that may not go over well with some taxpayers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think generally, all, all taxpayers. I think generally speaking, we need more revenue to proceed into the future. Gilliam told the Free Press this week, there are capital projects to build our community. We need to invest, and that's going to require more revenue. Uh, City Council, Broadback notes under Bowman and Gillingham. See Gillingham being placed at the right hand of Bowman as finance chair. Yeah. Also jacked up the amount the city siphons the waiter from the water and waste utility for general revenue, a forced utility to raise rates higher than would otherwise to make up for the lost revenue. To practice the province's public utilities board is called a hidden property tax increase. 
Ooh, Broadbeck didn't do Gillingham any favors reminding people <laughs> of that one. <laughs> nope. <laughs> With costs continuing to grow beyond 2% a year in many areas, the city's rainy day fund expected to be near empty by the end of the year. Kenny, we talked about that, that it'll be down, according to Councilor Perwati, to $20 million. It needs to be at 70 The question is, question posed by Tom Broadbeck, where does the city find the hundreds of millions required for expensive infrastructure projects, mayoral candidates, promising myriad new spending initiatives or measures that would, uh, such as electric buses, safe injection sites, more road repair, or measures that would reduce revenue, such as proposed tax breaks for home renovations or canceling photo radar. But most have not shared details of how they would pay for them. Gillingham says he wants to be upfront about where he plans to get the money. The city, I believe, is in a position to need a revenue increase, a tax increase. It just, I mean, you wait till after you're in office for a bit before you... (laughs) Certainly, saying you're going to raise taxes. Well, I guess Kelly has a new style politician. He comes out and says, I'm in favor of a tax increase. And, yeah, it's like, I will you know, raise your taxes if you vote for but me. Glenn oh. Murray really is, but Glenn Murray really is either. This article, noting Glenn Murray's made several pledges towards transit in the city, including service improvements for greater frequency, design complete, highly walkable 50-minute neighborhoods. Yeah, good luck where you're going to be crowbarring in the uh, the supermarkets and the, the, the convenience stores and the gas stations and other services uh, like that uh, in places like uh, like Yenemsvelt in Bridgewater that just where are you going to put these things? It's yeah. going to. Yeah. The, the neighbors have been already put in are a disaster. That's part of the problem and why everybody needs a car. Uh, anyways, among uh, Murray's. Noted promises by Global News. Murray said he'll make sure Winnipeg will have a fully electric bus system by 2030. Now, I think that this announcement was before this article was written. And and the part that's been left out is that, uh, and I think Bartley Kivas was the one who was all over this on CBC, this commitment for electrified buses would cost like billions more dollars like like five, like half a billion dollars five was it five hundred and forty million I saw just some humongous amount of money. Buses don't work in Manitoba. Like Brandon had to get rid of all their transit buses. I think I don't or, know why or, there's all this confidence in the modern it. in the modern um, version of electric buses, regardless of them being manufactured in Winnipeg or elsewhere. Uh, I'm not you know you have an electric bus go down you you got a big disaster. Oh yeah and. And if a whole bunch go down all at once, you got lots of disasters, you know, and some like 35 below. And plus already, you know, even conventional uh, combustion engines will uh, conk out, right? You'll have buses die. It happens. Buses break, yeah. I mean, every year, at least right. one bus breaks down. <laughs> we've all driven past them. We've all we've all seen them. Like, huh. we've all... We've all been waiting for the bus to see a breakdown at the stop before us. I mean, all all together. Okay, the city already plans to buy 509 million electric buses. He wants the city to buy to buy a hundred. Okay, the city's already buying a hundred buses for 509 million. He wants the city to purchase 573 other buses, which will be somewhere between 1.2 and 1.8 billion dollars. So Glenn Murray's for a tax increase too. He just doesn't say so. See, that's the smart thing. You get in there first. <laughs> oh, God. Well, this is good in theory, this goal of a zero-emissions fleet, Brian Bowman's wet dream. Well, this is good in theory. <laughs> Some officials believe candidates need to be talking more about their plans to make it real. What is our consensus building plan around council? What is our plan to engage those other levels? What's the business case for it, asked Bram Strain, president of Manitoba's Business Council. How are you going to deliver it? Rana Bakari focused on the livability of the city for older residents, a bunch of transit proposals none of which have tons of great substance. Certainly nothing really new from the looks of it. Uh, kind no of one, no one talks about bus shelters or crimes on buses, but just more. We no, need more not, buses. not, not, well, not in this roundup, but this is about infrastructure. I don't want to say nobody has. I, I think some people may have, but I, I yeah. that wasn't focused on. Uh, this story then turning, not all candidates have their eyes set on fixing the city's transit woes. So this points out that these, that from Bokari talking about transit, not everybody's focused on transit. Uh, Jenny Mottcliffe, the quote, my top priority for infrastructure is to supply municipal water and sewer services to Centerport South, spark growth and invest. So can you remember when we would make fun of Centerport when it was started, when we were on Kick FM? And <laughs> and it's been like, yeah, that was like 2008, 2009. And the city basically still hasn't got done anything to make sure things can be built there. And meanwhile, Rosser is booming with with just like big warehouses yeah, and and 
There's and no reason they, why there shouldn't be an Amazon warehouse facility down somewhere. there. Somewhere. Like it, it just does not make sense. Makaluk focusing on Centerport South because she says it will generate $80 million annual tax revenue. I guess that's property taxes and business taxes. Uh, 16,000 new jobs, almost $800 million in wages, and 10,000 new homes. And so that is a lot of infrastructure. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, vastly different from electric buses and vastly different from a tax increase. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so the that's candidates it. starting to differentiate between positions uh, uh, one way or the other. Now, another thing, uh, it, as we mentioned in the previous podcast, uh, crime, something we covered extensively on Kick FM and on City Circus. We always go back to the things that we cover uh, because these are our beats. And in the one of the earliest things that we did on Kick FM, and I think, Kenny, you were already with the program when this started, was we provided coverage in studio, long form interviews with the city's paramedics. And this oh, yeah. predated the amalgamation of the paramedics in with the firefighters union uh, and we gave the uh, paramedic side of the story they were very they're very supportive of of our program uh the firefighters uh, union management at the time a little less so uh new management nowadays at the time i don't think we were very high in the hit parade of alex forest we had that uh, clip of uh, that there was no available paramedics or no available ambulances that we mm-hmm. played a couple times it was uh, that's 13 years ago yeah yeah am i right so clearly that problem's been fixed, right? <laughs> this week, a lot of candidates from here are spending a lot of time talking about paramedics. RFO, Robert Falcon, with a good with a good quote, minutes count a medical emergency. You want an ambulance as quickly as possible to take you where you need to go as soon as possible. So at least that RFO does understand. I mean, yep. So what ambulances are for. While response <laughs> times by fire paramedics, he said this week, do fall within the nine-minute response target. They're unable to transport tra- patients to hospital. Meeting the city's response time target is important for patient outcomes. One of his priorities will be hiring paramedics and putting more ambulances on the road. Now that, and we've talked about that on this program. Yeah. Did we not? About, about from Kevin Klein. And that this is based on provincial funding. Let's uh, press release explaining the agreement expired in 2017. The province is providing funding letters every year, but has not kept up with increased demand and increased cost. Uh, so the city and the province have to work this out. And he said, it's long overdue in this close to municipal election. Any proposed agreement should be reviewed by the new mayor and council. Uh, point taken, Robert Falcon let. He'll also work with council to review how paramedics are organized within the city's fire paramedic service. And the review would be, would look at establishing a Winnipeg paramedic service. Um, he also wants to expand paramedics in the community, a program called EPIC which is a pressure release valve for emergency services. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. We need to strengthen this program. Emergency services know the frequent 911 callers are, and through the EPIC program, they determine what resources may be available to help them, diverting them away from emergency services to more appropriate community health resources. Uh, I'll get back to that sort of in a minute. Kevin Klein. That's a great idea. That's a great idea, but we don't even have the other resources right now, right? You can call... Nine one one. Get the paramedics or the police, right? Who else is gonna? Aren't the nine one one? Did we just see there's a thirty percent turnover in nine one one? Yeah. Or is that what is that not what the chief was attesting to? First year, thirty percent of them quit. So having, I don't know, you're putting more duties on nine one one like that. It, it's an idea, but there's a few kinks in this. Klein, it's an Kevin, idea. committing to enhance paramedic service for safer neighborhoods. He made that announcement earlier uh, last week, uh, improving the, uh, boy, this is, wow. I'm looking at this, and I don't know if it was not written properly or if there's a sort of the bolt came off and this thing I'm looking at should have been a subhead, Hmm. maybe. Uh, Anyways, he'll introduce the primary response paramedic units, which will improve response time and allow firefighters still respond to cardiac arrest and major collisions. So this got into a big debate about uh, about having uh, separate stations for paramedics uh, and the expense and whether Klein would or wouldn't support it. And Gillingham said he wouldn't support that idea because it's way too expensive. And Klein talking about how he essentially refused to make a deal with the firefighters union at they offered him some sort of a quid pro quo to get his endorsement, and he said no. And this endorsement of Glenn Murray is uh, it's uh, much ado about nothing because it's all based on who's promising who something for 
you know, whatever it is they're getting in terms of campaign support, et cetera. And this turned into even more of an uproar when Jenny Monclick chimed in and said, I agree with Councillor Klein. They try to offer me some sort of a quid pro quo deal in 2018 and I turned them down. <laughs> and so the union, you know, this concept that the union management is necessarily representative of the union members when it comes to who they're endorsing is do a dubious claim at best. Isn't the primary response paramedic unit, isn't that just the paramedics? Like, that's what they were originally designed for, to I, respond I, to, okay, so to emergencies? I, I'm, no, I'm not going to say that I'm an expert on this. And, Kenny, I know that you're a bit of an expert on this in that you worked with the downtown biz and yeah. – no, I'm, I'm not an expert by any means, I clearly. But you had dealings, direct dealings yeah. with these kinds of situations, right? Where yeah. 911 was called. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to tell you all, since the candidates are talking about paramedics, paramedic services, I want to tell you all about something that happened this weekend. I stepped outside, and I admit I was doing, I'm doing a lot of writing for the uh, Jewish High Holiday Editions. Yeah of of the j.ca so i actually ordered in pizza oh nice for a change and i like i haven't ordered in like all summer uh uh and i decide okay it's uh half price how bad can it be and actually believe it or not domino's pizza is not bad when it's left over and warmed up yeah it's It's much better it's actually really good domino's it's much better left over it's it's much much better as leftover pizza. It's along with gondola pizza, not gondola. Sorry, uh, chicken delight pizza as leftover used to be. I haven't had it in a few years. Chicken delight pizza used to be the best leftover pizza. You had to be warmed up, not cold. You warm it up, fantastic. Domino's pizza, and you can add some other toppings to it and some extra cheese. It's very good warmed up, very good once it's set. In any event, I'm waiting for the pizza. I step outside, and I take a look, and there is an ambulance on the street beside the office and it's adjacent to that street is a park and so here's a fire truck parked the wrong way facing traffic you know uh on the on not on the parking side of the street but on the up uh, incoming uh oncoming side of the street uh driver's side to the curb and it's something's going on in the park by a tree not far off the roadway it's about 15 20 feet tops into the park and I'm walk over uh, through the, the parking lot here at the office and I'm pull out my camera because the first thing is just the visual effect of the fire truck, the lights flashing. There's there has to be some road work down the street. So there's a yeah. you know, there's a, a, a road work sign and the fire. Truck. So the visual is fantastic. I mean, the first thing I see is, oh, wow, that's you don't see that every day. No. And 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 the setting is in front of a park. So I take out my camera and I'm going to. First, I'm going to photograph that and, you know, take a picture of the scene. Now, I'm not doing anything unusual. I'm standing on on, on the property in the parking lot. There's five individuals attending the party in question for whom a service call was made. I'm not presuming they made their own service call. Four of them are standing. One is crouched down beside the person it looks like this person's covered in a white blanket and nothing's happening huh nobody's moving and i look at this and i there's you know it's neat there are people still walk in the background through the park a car drives by and by and maneuvers around the fire truck slice of life right yeah now there's no big panic there's no sirens there's no police there's no police tape this isn't apparently an emergency As I photograph the visuals and just watch nothing happen, one of these individuals on the public payroll turns and faces me and says, could you please put your camera down out of respect (laughs) for this individual? Oh, man. Why did you laugh, Kenny? Because they shouldn't even, because you're allowed to take photos. There's no expectation of privacy in, in the public. It's just, you're allowed to take photos of them. That's, they and they know that too. They've been told that. I was rather taken aback that standing across the street 
not even on the boulevard, on private property, where it's a clear view of what's going on. And again, there's no police tape, there's no bustle, there's no attempt to cover the scene or anything of the sort. Yeah. In all my years, and granted, we didn't always have, you know, camera phones, phone cameras, to just immediately create that circumstance. Yeah. No one has ever tried to tell me not to photograph a scene in public. Now, I hear this, and I'm trying to evaluate firstly in my head, is this the second dead body that I've ever accidentally seen? It's like, did I hear that right? <laughs> like, Holy mackerel. Out of respect for this individual. Now, this fellow didn't say the deceased or anything. Maybe no. he's not allowed to because that's private health information. <laughs> so I say I'm on private property. These are public dollars being expended. And there is absolutely no way to identify that individual in these pictures. The guy tries to bellow something else at me, and I say, carry on with your job. <laughs> now, if somebody thinks that I was wrong, by all means, email me and let me know. I don't think that it is right. Now, this guy wasn't a cop. The cops were not scrambled to the scene. And, Kenny, I'm just going to look right now on my phone. I would have started recording them uh, with the video. Well, I did record some video, but I did not record this exchange. So, yeah, I recorded video 727 yesterday. And I, I'm just looking at it now, and it pans across the street. You see a car going past the fire truck, somebody walking in the background of the park. Exactly what I described, actually. Very Rockefeller. Just now. Well, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, diff <laughs> it's different. And in looking at it's a picture, a there is one person, it, you know, it looks like one person crouched down. But when I look at it, it could be that that's the actual person they were attending to when I blow up this picture. And there's only four of them there, not five. Now, I thought there was somebody under a white blanket. Now, what did I subsequently see? And this is at 15 minutes later, 38, 10 minutes later, this white thing is still on the ground. And they're still staring at me like I did it had anything to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Five minutes after that, 15 minutes after I start looking at it, looking at the scene, this it turns out it wasn't a white blanket. It was a person wearing a white, a long white skirt. OK. Uh, this person stands up. They are were tall, not obviously frail, not obviously presenting as female apparently not obviously um like not staggering not yeah. impaired i do not know it didn't appear they had a kit broken out it did not appear that they had given this person smelling salts or they might have given them some water that does not appear they provided any treatment mm -hmm. and the photographs you know i think pretty much prove that this person stands up and walks away and it's a seems to be a she and she's carrying a purse and i got a picture of her walking away through the trees standing straight now here's my problem i watched a fire truck get dispatched where there was no fire to a person who was laying down in a park near saint boniface hospital who after 15 minutes at least, and it's probably 20, because I it was already happening. I didn't the fire truck didn't pull up when I, you know, when I stepped outside waiting yeah. for pizza. See, I'm like, having a hard try a hard time reconciling what respect I needed to have for this individual who apparently certainly did not need the attention of four people on the public payroll and a fire truck. Now, you'll recall, I think I mentioned on the podcast that I know someone who's a fire who's a, a firefighter, and they spoke 
with me a few weeks ago about the frustration of attending calls and you go to help people and you tell them, can we take you to the uh, shelter? Can we take you to, you know, what, what, you know, it's a little mission, you know, for, you know, get it, get something to eat, whatever. And these people say no, and they walk away. Yeah. They're refusing medical service. I mean, that's, I don't know what they're refusing, but, but, Something tells me this isn't the first person that this person's gotten the attention of multiple individuals on the public dime providing emergency services. What is the solution to that? In the old days, somebody needed an emergency call. If it wasn't really an emergency, sometimes they'd be lectured. Sometimes they'd be charged. Sometimes because they were impaired, they'd be taken somewhere so that their impairment did not put them in further contact with the public or emergency services. This person, I'm just saying, they walked straight. They were tall. They were not frail. They were not hunched over. They were not using cane crutches or anything of the sort. There was no detectable limp. They walked off straight as an arrow. Yeah, this is a this is a one of the, the biggest problems uh, right now because you can't deny people access to emergency services because what happens when they do need it, you know? Yeah, this is a, this is a, a problem. So I don't know what any of the, and I'm, I'm not pointing the finger at any of the candidates whatsoever as being smarter or not as smart as each other. I don't know what any of them have said. They're all equally smart <laughs> as the other. <laughs> the jury is out on that. I, 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 I don't find it acceptable to see what I saw. I know they don't know what they're. Maybe, you know, you're walking up. It could be a dead body. And I called a reporter while this was going on and said, you know, I was just told blah, blah, blah. And they said, well, first of all, you should tell that guy to go F off. Hmm. And second of all, it sounds like that's a dead body. And while we were on the I was on the phone with this person, that's when the the body rose rose from the ground. (laughs) Rise from your grave and popped up. So it's like, well, you know, you know, you know, know your assumption. (laughs) Guess what? (laughs) My word. So I don't know what the solution is, but that's not cool. It's costing us money. It's unnecessary. Yeah. Unnecessary. I understand you pull up. But listen, did they really need four or five people standing around there for 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes? Because in the end, they stood there looking like dummies. And I'm telling you, they looked, they stood there looking like they were feeling like dummies. Okay. Well, they probably do exactly what was going to happen. I mean, that's well, not their you know, first rodeo. If probably, someone, and I don't know if it's Ouellette, I don't know if it's Klein, I don't know if if it's if it's uh, Rana or Jenny or who may have a way of explaining a policy that will ensure that fire trucks with four people are not sent to somebody sleeping or passed out or something in the park. And again, I understand you don't know if they're dead or not. You don't know if they're in the middle of a seizure or not. I get that. But it was pretty obvious for 15 or 20 minutes that there was no fucking emergency going on here. Yeah. Uh, Period. End of story. And I just, uh, I didn't like what I saw. And I did not like being talked to the way I was. Well, yeah, that guy should not have talked to you like that. That's that's really rude. I'm on private. You know, I want to be clear. This this isn't ambulance chasing. Nobody ran across the street, across the two lanes to go on to the into the park, you know, and get within 15 or 20 feet and take close ups and stuff. Nobody went on to the opposite boulevard or the opposite sidewalk across the street. This was there was no move to create an issue. Out of recording the activities of our first responders. And what I don't like is by suggesting out of respect to the individual who just wasted a few hundred or thousand dollars of taxpayers' money. Especially with the gas prices, too. Like they're supposed to be respected. Yeah. But yeah, like that's how our system is, is, uh, Fire trucks show up first. They're just the fastest. There's more of them, and they they have the uh, ability to uh, deal with a, a wide variety of situations, right? I I just how how much do fire trucks cost, Kenny? My breakdown on the purchase of the, of the most recent ones is, and I might my math might be up, but I uh, I thought it was like I think they're about a hundred dollars. 
112 with tax, I guess. <laughs> yeah, with that. A- yeah. Anyways, uh, that's why the cover photo uh, for this episode is uh, <laughs> is is going to be. Kenny doesn't know this yet. Is going to be uh, uh, fire trucks and signs and what? first first responders. Yep, standing it's... around a scene while somebody decides they don't need any help and they get up and they walk away and whoever can whoever can help solve this dilemma of people who act like they're entitled to emergency services when they don't need it because that's how it came across to me and yeah. and my concern is to get back to the point when you have people on the public payroll trying to tell the public don't film this don't tape this you're rude if you do that you're not a good person that's the implication the public has a need to know because if there's 10 of these going on all over the city in a day and people see pictures of 10 different scenes, they're going to go, hey, what in the hell is going on here? Oh, yeah. And yeah. so suppressing this kind of visual information, this visual proof of what's being said anecdotally in terms of calls for service for police, calls for service for for uh, for 911, for firefighters, etc., for paramedics. How does this improve? This improves society? Really? No. No. Not, to, to tell people, don't oh, don't take a picture of this. Screw off, buddy. Can you put your camera? T- put my camera up your ass. <laughs> I was I, listen. I'm I'm yeah. astonished. I'm astonished. This is I. There are times cops will tell you to back off from a scene. That's an active scene. I get that. Yeah, that's completely different. This that's, was a passive scene. Yeah. You know, it could have been more passive. Yeah. There's no crime being committed. Well, actually, there's yeah. No, well, there's there's no the false there's no crime scene being investigated. It's is a good way to put it. There was no crime scene. Yeah, we don't even know that it was the emergency number that was called. It could have been the fire paramedic number. That's what we used when we worked at the downtown watch. Yeah, I, never, I, I just phoned didn't like one once, and it's a and and, and this is part of the urban decay. I'm going to mention this in St. Boniface. I'm going to get this in now. Oh, I've seen decay. the same kind of fire paramedic response at the bus shelter. Uh, in front of the parking lot, the No Frills parking lot, which is slightly to the east, which is just to the east of the No Frills store on Goulet. Yes. Yeah. The transit shelter at Goulet Place. So when you go out of the St. Boniface Clinic at the corner of Taché and Goulet and you start walking or you're driving towards the McDonald's, McDonald's, the subway, Domo, right? The old Dominion Center where originally it was a, uh, uh, it's mainly because of the meat, all right, Dominion store. <laughs> Uh, and the sh- right, so there's the Domo, the Shoppers, Taco Time, uh, Eyeglass Shop, uh, all the good things. Mostly known by the McDonald's, the Domo. There's a bus stop and a bus shelter just before that McDonald's at what's called Goulet Place. A little back lane gets in and out of parking lots that service the St. Boniface Hospital. That bus shelter is an ecological disaster. Somebody had moved in this week. Their bike was there. There was a box of stuff there. I came back, I think two days later, I walked past it, a day and a half later. It was even worse. The bike was gone, replaced by a human being who had made a bed, had decided to make a bed in the bus shelter and would put what was evidently a heavy a plastic bin, a plastic bin that was full of stuff that were he- was heavy, to block the door. <laughs> and the garbage was even more overfilling, oh. overflowing. Maybe now if we this, told people that there's a huge carbon footprint from these people living in the bus shacks, they would you know, do something about it. This is across the street from 101 Marion. So for people <laughs> who want to grab the 19, coming from to or from 101 Marion is an example. Yeah. Uh, or from, say, the Norwood Hotel. Uh, and they want to catch the 19 and go that away downtown, then down Notre Dame towards Red River College. That's their bus stop. Yeah, it's everywhere. There are people that come out of the, I'm going to repeat this. People come out of the Manitoba or sorry, of the St. Boniface Clinic. These are people that are sick, people taking tests, people accompanying their loved ones. The bus shelter is filthy. It is an ecological hazard. Now, it's all very well and good to go, well, just think of the poor person that's decided that this is what they have to resort to in terms of being able to sustain themselves, to live outside the, the, to take over squatters rights of the bus shelter that should be used by the people coming from the clinic the people coming that work at that strip mall the people that come from 101 marion yeah right mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent agreement 
Uh, people don't people don't get better who when they live in the bus shack. Whose responsibility is it to clean that up? Just like with this paramedic business, I'm saying that what we saw, what I saw in the park, this is an extension of the disorder on Madelard's watch. There, I mentioned his name. That he's very concerned with bike lanes and active transportation and paths by the river, all very well and good. But he hasn't breathed a word about crime and public disorder in St. Boniface in a year. In a year. Well, you who's see who's responsible. Who's responsible? That there has to be uh, two buses an hour. Uh, how many hours a day? Eighteen hours a day. Thirty-six sure. buses go past this stop, maybe. At least. How many other civic vehicles? Nobody's responsible to stop and phone whoever. And I don't care if the whoever is Madelard's office. I don't care if the whoever is Streetlinks directly. I don't care if whoever is Public Works. I don't care if whoever is Transit. Who's responsible to set the wheels in motion proactively from the city to clean up that shit? Yeah, like clearly the transit supervisors know what bus shacks are being used as homes. And like, yeah, whether they they have given up trying to bike evict people out of them filth, or what junk garbage but see if there's a bike clothing. lane party that bike would not have been there and then everyone would have just oh, been if using there's only a bike rack and a, and a, and a bike path right yeah. right right it's, anyway it's, so just in general bike. in st boniface uh, just to touch on this in st boniface as i published a few years ago uh i believe it was in 2019 uh, crime in St. Boniface went up by 92.9. That's an accurate figure from 2014 to 2018. Crime went up in St. Boniface by 92.9%. It has surely not fallen since then. We know that. We know the chief is police chief Smythe has confirmed that crime is uh, uh, calls for service through the roof. All of this is a failure in my estimation of the people that are already there, of the establishment that has failed to take the measures has certainly Danny Smythe failed with Crimestat. I published that story a number of years ago that he had to go, that he failed with Crimestat. He failed with whatever succeeded Crimestat. They've got no handle on any of this. St. Boniface going down the toilet along with, with uh, as has Osborne Village and other neighborhoods in this city where progressively the bus stops, the bus shelters not safe, walking around the streets not safe. People being knifed all over the city, not safe. <laughs> but just remember, one knifing is equal to every other knifing <laughs> based yeah. upon the number of stabs, right? If two stabs are using this one crime. I'm then sure that stabs. those two people that were stabbed on Springfield Road by the 14-year-old and the 16-year-old just walking around in the neighborhood of that Mac store, probably uh, really minding really. their own business. I'm sure that they felt that them stabbing was just the same as every other stabbing that happens everywhere else in the city. It's certainly a stabbing on Springfield Road is the same as a stabbing between two people duking it out in front of uh, the Northern Hotel or something, you know, surely. We should have Danny Smith tell us like the hierarchy of crimes. Like this crime is more urgent than this crime and this crime is more urgent than this crime. According to Councillor Marcus Chambers, dousing the police chief with water is a serious crime. Yeah, we haven't heard anything more from that, eh? No, I promised to appear. I guess we'll wait until somebody gets in a court and we'll see if somebody from a newsroom sends someone. Uh, anyways, uh, now that I've talked about the state of affairs and I've eyewitnessed my own two eyes and say Bonavis recap some of the civic election coverage, talked about uh, people I know, friends running for a school trustee. I think that recaps everything that was on our list uh, for this week. Am I right, Kenny? It does look like it, yeah. Yeah. Um, Next Sunday, more of the same. I at some point, uh, Kenny, we we may end up we may end up having to skip a week somewhere in here. Yep, because that's of one of these uh, family obligation travels out of phone range. Blah 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 yeah. blah. We'll see what happens, uh, but I I think that's going to happen. I know already that one week of the, my newspaper, the, our newspaper, Ron East, my publisher. Uh, it, I know one week of our coverage is going to get. Sometime between now and Hanukkah is out the window. I just don't know which week it is yet. Uh, but we're doing our best to continue to uh, fulfill our, our sense of duty and obligation. One other thing before I forget. Oh. Uh, this won't 
be heard. I doubt I'm going to be able to get this out in time uh, online on, in time. So by the time you listen to this, I will have already appeared on CJOB Radio uh, at 8:35 in the morning on the uh, on the morning show. Uh, Greg Mackling having invited me on to discuss my column uh, in the J.ca uh, ab- about uh, the passing of uh, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, the column uh, tributes pour in for a monarch are Babas and Zetas loved with photographs of the newspaper sections that my Baba and Zeta had saved and that had been saved long after they moved to Israel and passed away. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, so part of our family inheritance, uh, newspapers uh, and, and a gorgeous tin. Uh, I don't know whether it had cookies or what exactly used to be in it. Uh, I'm really not clear what the tin was was ever for. Uh, and so, anyways, I illustrated that story mostly with those photographs. And one from our good friends at Assiniboia Downs of uh, Her Majesty's visit in 1970. Greg Mackling of CGOB loved it. That's and, exciting. And immediately asked if I would, and he, you know, knowing the way I am, he said, would, would you? Would it be okay if you came on mainstream media? To yeah, of course. Something like this, of course. <laughs> would it be not, okay? <laughs> would it be okay? And it's always okay to appear with Greg Mackling. He's uh, he's uh, been very supportive and turned into a good friend uh, over the years uh, and supportive of the work that 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 uh, we do. A guy who comes came into broadcasting from outside the broadcasting business and has been very level-headed the entire time when it comes to the concept of differing points of view and competition and good stories that are out there that that newsrooms should with big audiences. Uh, you know, should amplify. And in this case, um, what I wrote uh, from my family's perspective uh, about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II uh, is uh, going to be subject of an interview tomorrow. And yes, believe it or not, Kenny, I am going to get myself up before the crack of noon. <laughs> eight, eight at, uh, I'll be getting up around 8.10, 8.15 and preparing myself to make that appearance on CJOB. And I'm, I want to thank CJOB and Greg Mackling for inviting me on to discuss what is for me, it's very important that J.ca, along with the coverage we give to them, uh, current affairs and anti-Semitism, trying to hold leadership of various forms to account, uh, it gives me the opportunity and other people the opportunity to write stories about our childhood, about our families, about things that, that are intrinsic to our existence as Jews in Canada, as Jews in the diaspora. And and uh, this, uh, it, it, it gives me a lot of pride to have been able to Give life to breathe life into these old dusty old newspapers that sat under the stairs, literally from 1970 until 2021 in my grandparents' home in the north end of Winnipeg. And so uh, I'll uh, I'll be on CJOB tomorrow morning. It'll already been played, and I'll see if I can figure out how to provide a link so that uh, those of you listening to this podcast can listen to my conversation with uh, Mackling. And I don't know if uh, I don't know who else is necessarily going to be there. So your we'll initials see. are the same but reverse because his is Greg Mackley, GM. Well, yeah, you're Marty Gold. Yeah, and well, I don't know if you realize that. Just no, I never. Out. I've never quite <laughs> never quite thought of things that way for some reason. <laughs> now you know but, how my brain works. <laughs> but thankfully, Kenny, it is still working. Oh my God, seventy percent capacity. And that makes life easier for all of us. And so on behalf of Spirited Kenny, that's it for the Great Canadian Talk Show, Episode 17. Uh, uh, Remember, you can contribute to these efforts if you so wish uh, by uh, using the links in the podcast description. Uh, You can find all of our podcast episodes are all archived on wham.live, wam.live, under the City Circus tab. And more next week. Hey, the podcast turns 18 next week. I guess we're going to be having a drink. Oh, my word. That's okay, Kenny. We know you've been using fake ID so far anyways. <laughs> Up till now. Yeah, I have that's, a lower age. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it. That's it for me. Thank you for listening. And remember, unlike, unlike what Peter Warren ever said, thank you for listening. You have the power. Thanks for listening to the Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty, send it to TGCTS1 at gmail.com. Or follow him on Twitter at TGCTS.